0: Father, we're thankful for this day. Always give us, Lord, a, a thirst to understand the scriptures, to delve into things that we can learn. We never grow too old to learn new things that make us appreciate the faith and make us love your word more. We're thankful for Joe and, and his knowledge and, and that he enjoys sharing it. He enjoys uh, conveying it to other people, and that's, that's meaningful. Pray you'll just bless us that we might grow in our knowledge and we might grow and not only in knowledge but how to apply it to our lives as we live our lives uh, day by day. Bless us and guide us and use us, these things we ask in thy name. Amen. Okay, Joe. Uh, this is about the, I think if I figure it right, the fourth time we've gone through this process together. And uh, this could become habit forming if we aren't real careful. Uh, We hope he does. But I I enjoy this so much, and um, and, uh, Jim is right. Uh, When I was little, my favorite place in any house were closets. Um, I loved to hunt in closets to see what was tucked away. And I, other people have, have in effect, said that uh, I spend much too much time hunting in the Bible's closets. And uh, the remarkable thing is there's a lot of them there. <laughs> and, uh, there's a lot of places to look. And there's a lot of stuff in it. We need and a it. lot of stuff in the closets <laughs> once you get in. Somebody said, where do you, how do you, where do you get all that stuff? Well, it, it's, it's out there waiting for us. And um, it does take time and energy to, uh, to hunt things down. I'm one who believes that our faith is enriched the more we know. Um, that, that, uh, that, that doesn't mean that uh, you have to know stuff uh, in detail to get to heaven but it does mean that uh, we enrich our own spirituality by increasing our understanding of biblical things and so my view is that when we go doing the kind of thing we'll do for the next couple of weeks uh, it's not just—it's uh, t- not a trivia hunt. Uh, it is a—it is a an effort to understand the lives of the people who went before us, and from which uh, from whom we came as Christians. Um, because they had rich lives, they left all sorts of little marks behind, and to get to know them, um, uh, as you know, if you do as I've done the last ten years. And that is find out who all of your ancestors are, oh, yeah. and it's amazing how much you learn about yourself by studying your ancestors. Um, and not only that, it helps to explain a lot of weird things about us. But <laughs> you know, that, uh, that by and large, <coughs> so, uh, so uh, uh, that's uh, that's what. And and so the, uh, the idea this time is that um, uh, I I have been fascinated. I, do you do you know? Um, there are more than 50. There are different estimates, but uh, I gave up counting at about 35. Um, Different people named specifically in the New Testament, about half of them connected to Paul's writings. You can't read a single chapter without finding say hello to so-and-so or I'm sending so-and-so to you or if he doesn't drop the ball, he'll be there to see you. And they are names, by and large, that we may hear only three or four times. But you don't have to think very long to realize that these people and Paul are on pretty intimate terms. Paul is calling them by name, and they are spending time together and getting to know each other. And Paul has work for them to do. And uh, he's not going to take time to explain it to everybody, but if you start looking behind the, the doors... You realize that it's a uh, uh, that that there is an enormous cast of characters here, uh, and uh, what I want to do um, is and and the way that, that I have gone about this in, in a in a previous class, most of what I do here uh, comes out of the years that I spend at the seminary teaching at the seminary in California. Um, but what what I want to do in six weeks is, is um, take up the question uh, of uh, when the apostles and Paul are all martyred. Now with one or two exceptions they're all martyred. Uh, and in different places. Some of them have taken off to uh, there's a couple in India and, and others in different parts of Asia and, um, uh, and so forth. They're in different places but they eventually run into difficulty where they are and are martyred. With one or two exceptions um, uh, um, uh, John we all know the story of John who lives to be quite old and, uh, and, and who is in fact released from the Isle of Patmos and, and ends up returning to Ephesus where he dies apparently a fairly natural death um, but all but one or two of them by the year 65 what is, why is that era from 63 to 68, 69 what's significant about that period for the Christians? <coughs> Uh, it's the it's the it's Nero who is the emperor. Now you know enough about Nero to know that he and the Christians did not do well together. Uh, a few of the a few of the uh, uh, a few of the emperors didn't do badly, but Nero was tough on the Christians, and and so by about that 64, 65, 66, uh, virtually all of the apostles are gone. Now, that's really early, okay? Now, granted, that's 30 years after Christ is gone. So they've, got to, they've had a lot of time to work, all right? But when they die, and, and, and none of them are very old at that point um, because none of them are much older than Jesus. So in 64, 65, they are, if you count from zero and Jesus, they're 64, 65 years old. So they're dying prematurely. Uh, and because of that, the question then is, does the, ch- does the church die with them? The answer is, of course, no. But that means what? Somebody, somebody picks up the ball and runs the next 20 yards. Okay, you, 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 does that make sense? Okay, and the question is, who is it? Because when they die, you realize we're at the end of the Bible period. Bible period ends there. Acts ends where? Paul's death. We think it does. Actually, it ends a little before. Paul's Peter's death comes at the same time. Um, uh, the, the letters of Paul are done. Okay, uh, And so the question we're going to ask is, who are some of the people? Out of those 50 or 60 names, which ones kind of rise to the... Does that make sense? Rise to the top, <clears throat> okay? N- now, so what we're going to do, uh, I, think, I think Andrea thought this up. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to make our top ten, all right? Uh, and we're going to start at ten tonight, and on our last night we'll get to number one. And I'm not going to tell you who's coming. I'm going to leave you to work that out, all right, as we put our list together. Now, I've had a fairly complicated. I've worked on it for a long time. Um, it, granted, it's all a judgment call, all right. But it is based on things we have been able to learn about them. And when we do this, what we're concerned about is of uh, trying to determine what they're doing during where, who they are and what they're doing during the New Testament period. I'm going, I think I'm going to try that. See if it works a little bit. We're going to spend a little time on what we know about them here, but the big question is, what do we know about them after this? Um, and so it's it's our effort to explore uh, this part that we're really concerned about. All right, and and we'll do that with each one. Uh, there are indeed a lot of documents that have made their way down to us in different forms, that uh, various histories that have been written along the way, some of them incomplete, but many of them having enormous amounts of information in them. Uh, the kind of information we were able to kind of put together when we did the, the missing years of Jesus. Remarkable amount of information is there about that, about that period. Well, this is what we're looking for. Now, we are not to, we're not going to stop if we lose them here. Then we're going to assume that that um, they're not going to make the the cut over here. Does that follow? Because we if we don't know what, if we can't figure out what they did here, then uh, we're going to assume that most of their work was here. All right, and uh, and go from that. Uh, does that make sense to you? What we're, what we're talking about? Yeah. Uh, any suggestions or comments? <laughs> on that? Uh, uh, I find this. Great fun and really enlightening stuff uh, to do. So uh, that's kind of the plan. Um, now, what we know about virtually all of the characters we're going to look at is they are, they are in the generation following the apostles of Jesus, the disciples, okay? and Paul, which means they're probably 15 to 20 years younger Instead of being born around uh, around the zero year, uh, they are born about 20 A.D. Okay, Is that, you follow me? Uh, and uh, there there will be a couple of exceptions, but uh, we'll talk about those uh, and why they're exceptions when we when we get to them. But by and large, we're talking about the second generation, with the apostles being the first. Now the 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 the. the founders of the church are the apostles paul and paul okay we know who they are we've got lots of information about them uh, there's a sense in which you can think about the group that we're going to be talking about in the second generation as the friend of mine calls them the ceos of the church they are the ones who build the company Do you see the difference the founders are not going to build the company. They're going to lay the groundwork. They're going to put the pieces together. They're going to set the charters. They're going to make sure that they, that everything is kind of laid out right. But then they're going to turn it over to the next generation that's going to actually do the legwork of putting it together. And that's the generation we're talking about. Okay? So that's, uh, that's where I want to start. Now, please stop me anytime. You know by now that I'm very stoppable that's not really a word though is it um, yeah. I, have, I I stop anytime and uh, we'll we'll go on any tangents anybody wants to I'm real good at that too so um, uh, if, if and, and if there's something I say you disagree with don't want uh, want to kind of quarrel by all means just as long as you remember I'm in charge <laughs> <laughs> As I tell my students who ask questions, I get to ask the questions. You answer them. Okay, Anyway, um, Now, here's what I want to do tonight. And I'm very conscious of time. Always, always conscious of time. Got to be. Uh, and we'll be through at 6 o'clock. Fair, okay? That, um, I want to, I'm going to do it a little differently tonight. Because I want to, uh, we're, going to add, we're going to start with number 10. But before I get to number 10, I want to talk about the one who's not on my list to illustrate what I just said, okay? Uh, And the one who is not on my list that we should talk about is probably the one person who is most talked about in the generation I just described to you. Except he probably is two generations back, uh, not just one. And his name is Timothy. Now, we all know who Timothy is, right? Where's he from? I want to tell you why he's not on my list. That's what I want to do. Okay? Now, he's a very important character, no question about it. Paul wrote him two letters. Um, Paul met him on which of his three missionary journeys? Now, I'm full of questions, so you're going to have to kind of stay keen here. Second. On the second missionary journey, what town? Uh, are you? No, not Thessalonica. Huh? Oh, oh, oh. Philippa? No? No. His mother, his grandmother? Yeah. Oh. Who oh, were they? You go. Oh. Lois, oh. And Yunus. Yunus. Yeah. Lois and Eunice. Lois and Eunice. And they all lived. Hey, hey. Lystra. Lystra. They're from Lystra. 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 And Paul met them there. And almost immediately, now the question is: When he, when Paul was there, how old might Timothy have been? I've heard he now, Paul, yet. Paul's 50, 45 years old yeah. by this time. Okay, so Paul's a grown fellow and is on his second missionary trip. So, so Paul is uh, actually Paul is closer to 50, 55 at this point. Um, so Timothy. Okay, mother's there, grandmother's there, and there's this young man that Paul literally falls head over heels over. How old is Timothy, would you guess? i mean, we're guessing, we don't know. We
1: think he's a teenager,
0: a teenager. Yeah, he's probably a teenager. That's a fair thing to say. 15, 16, 17, someplace along in, in there. Old enough that Paul says, why don't you travel with us? Now, Paul was also missing Somebody that was with them when they left on their missionary trips that was supposed to play a big role. Who was that? John Mark. John Mark, and they got they got out of from a couple of hundred miles from home. And John Mark says, "I this isn't for me. I'm going back." Remember that story? And so, uh, was there a place on the travels for a teenage, a good, strong teenage boy? Oh, yes, absolutely. Somebody's got to carry those suitcases. Yeah, absolutely. And so the idea of Timothy coming along uh, was kind of a no-brainer. And uh, so so Timothy joins them at that point. Uh, and Timothy, uh, there is nobody. Timothy became the son Paul never had. So now, uh, uh, Timothy uh, is going to literally grow up for the next 20 or so, uh, uh, 15 years or so with Paul, and with all of those that are with Paul, Luke and uh, and Silas and others who are traveling uh, at various times with him. Timothy is going to become known to them all and and is going to become kind of companion to them all. Uh, he'll do a 100 different jobs. Gradually, as he gets older, Paul will try to involve him in more... Um, what shall we say? Mature, huh? Heavier. Heavier work, but but even some of the yeah, the intellectual work, the work he starts talking to him about preaching and talking to him about teaching and things like that to try to bring him into the process. The interesting thing, as we read in the in the all through Paul about Timothy, is that we learn a great deal about Timothy's personality. If you had to think about What Paul says about Timothy, his personality, we learn about. Let me do this. Um, Let me me just read some things to you very quickly to give you an idea. Okay? Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Says, um, if Timothy comes, he's planning to talk about, I'll probably send Timothy to you. See to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may make his way back to me. What's he saying? Don't reject him because he's young. Yeah. In Philippians paul writes but you know that timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel why would one need to say but you know that timothy has proved himself why would one say that maybe because of the age too is he old enough to have proved himself All right, and then a great deal from first and second timothy there's some other texts (coughs) Um. And 2 Timothy no no 1 Timothy is where he says don't look at he's writing now to Timothy so he addresses Timothy don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but set an example for the believers in speech in life in love in faith and in purity until I come devote yourself to public reading of scripture Do, be diligent in these matters give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress And then this, I am reminded, Paul says, to Timothy of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. And that's the word for, for that, that you could easily translate cowardice. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. What are we learning about Timothy? What's he kind of personally like? Maybe he is a little timid. Maybe he is a little... Why else would one say that? If one didn't say, Timothy... Now, this is close to the end of Paul's life. So Timothy is not a teenager anymore. Okay? Timothy is growing and going to have to find a place for himself here. Do not... God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. So do not be ashamed... To testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But well, what emerges when you really kind of start to, to piece these together is a is is a how would we what well, would we call it an introverted kind. You were talking about that this yeah. morning in our Sunday school class. An introverted reticent. kind of person. Say it again. Reticent. Yeah, a, a reticent, um, uh, not fully sure of. Himself, which is why Paul has to do what throughout First and Second Timothy. Everything's himself. good. Everything's good, Timothy. We're, we can do this. I know, <laughs> you know. And you read it, and, and sprinkled in that is tell the people this, and you might tell them that too. I mean, there's little hints about do this and do that, and look for this in somebody. But more than anything else, in First and Second Timothy, we get Paul trying to get Timothy not to. And right before the verses I read for you here in, in, uh, uh, in 2 Timothy, um, Paul has just been talking about all the people who have left him. Gone here, gone there. Demas is in that group. I'm not convinced Demas left the church. I am convinced he was scared to death in Rome and wanted away from wherever Paul was because it looked really bad coming on there. And Paul says he's forsaken me. Well, I don't know if that was... Paul had a way of overstating some things. And that may have been one of them. But the point is, he is trying desperately to get Timothy to do what? Buckle down. down. Don't lose it. Don't forget what we've talked about. Don't forget what what we have, you and me, have got going. Don't forget any of that. Don't be timid. Don't be shy. Get out there. Stand up and say to them... You're Timothy. You're representing me. But that to me, that'd be part of the thing. He's you, you in Paul's shadow. He is. He is. And you know. and that may I, you, you know you just you just made a, a light bulb just went off with what you said that that may have been part of Timothy's problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> thank you oh, I was, yeah, that he would speak out and he, you know he's you know didn't lack. but uh, in every one of the um, now as often as Paul says when he writes a letter uh, Timothy and I are sending you this letter and it happens about seven times or so in the letters okay where Timothy is a part of the salutation. Um, but even in those letters, if Paul is, is planning to send Timothy someplace, he wants to make sure that the people don't abuse Timothy. Uh, he wants to make sure that they take care of him and that they see that he is okay. Now the interesting thing is, Timothy is one of those. Like I described here, when this line hits... Timothy disappears on us. Timothy has... uh, One of the things that appears to have happened is that at the end, and you you can see it coming in in 2 Timothy, that um, uh, if you go back and look at some of the historical records, Paul himself appointed Timothy a bishop of Ephesus. The problem is That Ephesus had had a lot of bishops for a long time before then. And so to appoint... uh, And Ephesus was one of the truly solid churches uh, in Asia Minor. One of the really good churches in Asia Minor. So to send Timothy and give him an assignment in the church in Ephesus was the equivalent of what? Making him of putting him in a group where everything will, you know, I don't have to worry about Timothy because he's got a lot of people around him that will take really good care of him. We know what that's like. Um, and and that appears to have been what happened to Timothy here. Um, did he stay in the church? Yes, most likely he did. We have no reason to think otherwise. Uh, it probably was in Ephesus. Uh, interestingly enough, um, the person who did extend, uh, uh, have a lot of influence in Ephesus, both early and late, was who? Which, which apostle do we associate with Ephesus? John. John, the apostle John. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, when things broke out bad in Jerusalem, John the apostle, who had been charged with taking care of Jesus' mother, Uh, By all accounts, John took Mary to Ephesus where she lived, died, where John was subsequently arrested, put on the island of Patmos, and then when an emperor came who turned him loose, he made, as a very elderly gent, he began to call himself John the Elder rather than the Apostle, Um, and went back, went back to Ephesus. So to put Timothy, assign Timothy to Ephesus. Is, is literally a safe a safety thing. Are you with me? Now, is Timothy important? Of course he is. He was important to Paul. Um, he was important because when Paul needed a companion, needed help, needed somebody, so Paul would write and say, Timothy, come to me, I need you. I'm in Rome, I'm in prison, I need you here. And, uh, and he did. Uh, he did, on, on at least two occasions, summon Timothy, who he had sent elsewhere, to come back because he, he had need for it. So we're not we're not. I'm not denigrating. Is that clear? I'm not denigrating Timothy. I'm saying we're dealing with a young, a young adult, okay, who who is I think laboring under. Not what we find in many of the others. Tell me if I'm if that's making sense. If that, uh, uh, and I say that because. In a list like we're going to make, Timothy, uh, in my judgment, doesn't doesn't make our top ten here, in a sense. But the, the person who does that I want us to talk about tonight, and the reason we're talking about Timothy is because we always associate him with one other person. Who is it? Huh? Who? Well, Paul is not one that we're we're actually looking at here. I'm talking about one that we can put on our list. Um, uh, Paul is one of those apostles we won't put on our list. Um, the person that I will put as number ten here is this one: it's Titus. Now, we when we go from Timothy to Titus, number ten and maybe deserves higher. Uh, But when we talk about Timothy and Titus together, we're talking about night and day. We are talking about two people who are as opposites as any two people get. Now, Titus clearly is older than Timothy. Titus is no teenager when we first... Well, he is actually when we probably first encounter him. But... uh, uh, Titus of course famous for many things and I want to talk about a few of those because we want to locate him within the biblical context I'm going to start a piece of paper around as we start to talk about Titus would you, would you all uh, um, and pass those to the table behind you um, this will help us to talk about it. Titus take one of those if you would uh, Jim, take a few of them back to the They're back right there. And, uh, yeah, just just pass them around. Just pass them. Uh, don't don't wor- don't look at it just yet, um, because we'll get to it in a minute. But I want to be able to to start on Titus here. Um, now, Titus is famous because one of those letters, First and Second Timothy, oh, yes. Titus. Yeah. So uh, he is he is relatively prominent. In the New Testament, in Paul's life and work, um, but he is—he's—we—we uh, uh, we spend. I—I uh, I told Jim how nice it was to—to to hear that wonderful story from the Old Testament this morning. That's—it's it's not a story we get to actually, actually think about very much. Well, t- Titus is that way. Titus is one of those great characters in the New Testament that gets kind of lost. In the mist. And one of the reasons he does is because, like a lot of the characters we're talking about, you, you have to piece it together. There's no big story. Well, let's read the story of Titus. No, you can't do that. Okay? Because the story of Titus is in part one, part two, part three, part four, and part five. Boom, 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 boom. Now you get all those together, you can pretty well figure out the story of Titus. Um, the interesting thing about Titus is we know a great deal about it. And the reason we do is because um, he, was a, he was, everything we just said about here's the New Testament stories and here's the after story. There is a lot of stuff about Titus there in the after story. Uh, a person who is actually mentioned in Paul's letter to Titus is called Zenos the lawyer. And in history, Zenus the lawyer appears to have written a book about Titus called The Acts of Titus. Uh, we have parts of it. don't have it all, but we know enough about it to kind of know um, to, to know what it says. Uh, it contains a lot of information about Titus' early life. Titus was from where? Crete. 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 If, um, uh, Crete. Now, I asked if, uh, you know where Crete is? I, thank you, Wesley. You found me. <coughs> yes, I appreciate that. Um, we're going to use this map. Oh, to my, I'm too close to the speaker over there, aren't I? Now, I don't know if you can see this, but you recognize the, Europe, the map of Europe and the Mediterranean world, don't you? Okay, um, Italy, Greece, up through here. This is Asia Minor. All right, uh, Jerusalem and Palestine are right down here. Okay, Alexandria here as so we come around. Egypt. Okay, um, Crete, Crete is, right, is that island right there, in the middle of the Mediterranean, okay. not very big, um, uh, uh, Cyprus is this island over here, close, Crete is the one, Crete is the, was the stopover, for anybody going from here to here, guess where they take a break? Yeah, Crete, you, you, this, you can see that, uh, and you're going here, this also was the was the stop off to, to make sure you stayed in the water. You could go this way, but this was actually the easier way to go to to all of these areas up in here or over there and there's Rome right on the far edge. So you can see Crete is a very a crucial island. This is a this is a a, a seaport that was visited about every uh, by about everybody that that traveled the Mediterranean. You can see why it's positioned right out there, where it's easy to stop at. And not only that, but but when you got into this area, these, these were the dangerous waters. So you tried to stay. So you you were within sight of one of these these places as, as you as you traveled. He's from Crete. Um, he uh, and and we do know that by the second or third century B.C. before Christ, there is a fairly large um, a large Jewish population on Crete, and it wouldn't—it doesn't take much figuring out to figure out why, because the people passing through, and many of them are going to stay, and uh, so Crete became uh, a, a, a place where where uh, there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of Jews, and and um, it uh, happens that uh, one of the things Zenus tells us in his uh, biography is that. Uh, uh, that uh, Titus was was not born Jewish. He's born, uh, he is a Gentile, um, and his uh, uncle was uh, for some time the governor of the island. So he is born into a significant family. Uh, his uh, He had uh, other, uh, uh, his parents or his father and, and another uncle were both judges on the island. It wouldn't uh, take much to try to figure out how that might have happened. But, um, and so, so he's born into that uh, he's born probably about 15 or between 15 and 20 so he's probably 10 to 15 years younger than Paul younger than Jesus, younger than the disciples he is in that next generation we are told again by, by the lawyer that very early in his life uh, he was exposed to Hebrew scriptures Became fascinated with Isaiah and talk of the coming of a, a special person from God. The, the chief god of the island was Zeus. And uh, and uh, so he, uh, Titus is exposed to a different outlook. Word comes to the island that uh, over here in Palestine... Um, now how would word come to an island like that? By uh, travelers. Travelers are going to go here to here and the word gets to the island, okay, that that person has arrived over here. And so for a teenager like Titus, uh, now we are really interested in what's going on over here. And according to, to stories uh, from, uh, from um, uh, secular historians, um, uh, as, a, as a late teen, Titus made his first trip from here over here looking for that messianic figure that he had read about in Isaiah and did become acquainted with the apostles did settle for a time in Jerusalem and probably became acquainted um, one of the things that Zenos says Zenos was a Christian obviously that's why his, his name shows up in in Paul's letter um, it uh, says that, um, that uh, Titus literally became a, refused to go back to the island, became so enamored with, uh, with uh, Jesus that he became a follower. Um, way before Paul, uh, even before Jesus was, uh, was uh, before the Easter events, uh, he had become a follower of the Messiah. Now, um, one didn't join a church or anything like that. One just followed. One just went where he was. One became a part of the group. Uh, And you know that at two or three points in Jesus' life, he would gather together large numbers of those who had clearly become followers. When he moved around, they moved around with him. Where are you going to be today? You know, that sort of thing. Uh, If you read in Luke chapter 10, Jesus, we're told, gathered at one time how many followers, and commissioned them, actually. Seventy. Seventy. Seventy at one time. Okay? Now, it, it, it is not too hard to speculate that out of that seventy, and you think about that, that's a large number. Uh, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of people, Jesus. Now, we're not talking twelve disciples. We're talking, it's the seventy. In some manuscripts, it's seventy-two, but seventy or so. And it's entirely possible, given what we know about what Titus is doing, that Titus may very well be in that group. There is no record of who is in that group. Now, there were some scholars of the second and third centuries who tried to see if they could figure out who those were. And essentially what they did is pick the people whose names they recognized from the New Testament and kind of... But by the same token, we do know that, that um, there were a lot of people... Who as this developed in that first hundred years after Jesus, they were appointed, they became bishops of the churches that are scattered now all over the empire, all up through here, all through here. Of course, here, here's where, here's Paul's area, all through here, over in here, and then even farther this direction. So there's churches everywhere. And by the end of that first century, by about 100, all of these churches have a leader or little group of leaders in which there would be a single leader called the bishop. Uh, Now, one of the things that's going to emerge, and it's going to come out of the letter to Timothy and to Titus, we are hunting for what to call the leaders. You know that. And there's a number of words that begin to be used interchangeably. But we know, though, that that the word that's going to filter to the top is the word episkopos, which is the word for bishop. Okay. And so we we begin to make lists between 100 and about 120 uh, of where the churches are and who the bishop. Now, the, the bishop is the preacher. For all practical purposes, the bishops were describing that, that are described in that first century. Do the same things the preacher does today. Leads worship. Make sure everybody's taken care of. Make sure that the committees are doing their things. Make sure that this is happening. That's the bishop. Now we can call it other things, okay? But the fact is that that uh, somebody has to become in order for a group to go. Somebody has to play that play that role, okay? And we've got it. We know all about that. I, I can't wait till our bishop, uh, excuse me, until our preacher gets here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you see what I mean, okay? Um, so the point is that we've got Titus. And and Titus now is is what he's essentially done is moved to Jerusalem, right? and he gets to know people in Jerusalem. He becomes infatuated. I guess that's not a bad word to use for it with Jesus. And and according to the biography of Zenos, um, uh, like a lot of people who are there, and watch this. Okay, And um, you remember after Jesus' resurrection? Remember what Paul says? Jesus appeared to this group and that little group and this little group. And then how many at once? Five hundred. It's in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, And then finally he says, and then he appeared to me. Okay? Five hundred. Now, think about that. Who are the five hundred people that have gathered and Jesus appears to them? Now, we, we very seldom stop to think about who were those people. Who was in that crowd? That's a huge crowd. We didn't have many more in that church today. <laughs> 500 people, a lot of people, okay? Big church. Uh, th- th- the point is that it does appear that Titus is close, is, is probably, granted, uh, uh, am I making that up? Yes. Probably in that group uh, that Jesus appears to. And then very quickly, something begins to happen. Jesus is gone. The disciples, the apostles, are in trouble. In trouble with the Sanhedrins. In trouble with... And who's the first one killed? James. Well, James James is killed earlier. But uh, yeah, Ste- uh, no, not Peter. No, not no, no, no. Stephen. It's the stoning of Stephen that changes the picture, because what did Christians? That terrified the Christians. I mean, this was this was this was bad stuff. Um, and so we do know that there is a huge exodus out of Jerusalem after the martyrdom of Stephen. Now the, the church is still there, um, but uh, but those who Uh, who had been thinking about leaving looks like it's a pretty good time to go okay and get our ministry started somewhere else and and so literally what happened is that the the exodus from sent sent a lot of people Christians uh, from Jerusalem other places Uh, what was the main city around here that they went to Antioch. Antioch we know what it is because many of the Christians from Jerusalem showed up in Antioch and Antioch became Uh, Almost the second, Jerusalem. Remember what Acts says about the word Christian? Chapter 20, verse 7. And the disciples were first called Christians Christians in Antioch. So Antioch becomes a very good... One of the people who went to Antioch was Titus. Now, see how we can can kind of tie the little strings of things together? Titus goes to Antioch. Now, my time is running out so fast. Um... I gotta, sh- I gotta shorten things. All right. Um, first time we, we really discover Titus is um, now uh, Paul becomes a Christian during this time, and one of the places that Paul goes after he becomes a Christian, as he tells us himself in Galatians, is where? Damascus. Antioch. He Antioch. Goes, well, Damascus first, but he ends up in Antioch. That's when, when Barnabas goes to get him to take him to Jerusalem. It's in Antioch. He's, he takes, he goes to Antioch to find him. Okay. Now the point is that, that um, Paul and Titus are probably going to meet for the first time in Antioch. Okay? That's where their paths cross. Paul goes on his first missionary journey we're going to shorten it down because okay? I want to get to, we've got a ways to go give me um, first missionary journey, comes back and he has now converted to Christianity Gentiles, non-Jews so when he gets back to Jerusalem what's he facing? Trouble. Trouble. Because what he runs into is that the Jerusalem church says you've got to become Jewish first, then you can become Christian. And Paul has been doing the opposite. Okay? And so they have that uh, wonderful conference in Jerusalem where Paul and Silas, and Barnabas are called back to say, What are you doing on these trips? Okay, remember that? And Paul has to defend why he has done what he's done. Who does he use, who does he talk into being his exhibit and takes to Jerusalem with him? Titus. That's the first we learn of Titus. Paul says, now Titus is now a Christian. Okay? But he is not a Jew. Okay? So, um, uh, now, not only, so here's what we got. Titus is known by everybody in Jerusalem because that's where he lived for quite a long time. So he knows everybody there. They know him. Uh, Second, it's entirely possible that uh, 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 Titus has been doing work for the church in Antioch. Otherwise, why would Paul and Barnabas decide you're going back to Jerusalem to to the church with us? So he's, he's already established himself as a church leader. And... Third, um, we start to learn about Titus's personality. It's the opposite of Timothy. Here's where we're going. We're going to find out that Titus is one of the smartest, toughest hombres in the New Testament. Okay, because they are going to use Titus now as the central point of the discussion. And Paul is going to say, Titus, we are not circumcising. He is going to stay just like he is. Everything is fine. It isn't broken. We're not going to fix it. And Titus becomes exhibit number one. And it appears to all work. Okay? Now, put yourself in that position. You're going to be the one kind of standing on the pedestal with everybody watching you, taking you apart. Okay? you better have thick skin here because you're going to hear stuff and they did and they did and Titus showed what he was made of for the first time okay now I have two other one particular thing about Titus now what happens is this Uh, Paul leaves on his second missionary journey Titus does not my feeling is this, that Paul desperately tried to talk Titus into going with him and Titus said, no, 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 nope. I don't do that kind of thing. Okay, um, I'm my own guy, you go do your thing, I'll do mine. And then Titus probably made a mistake of saying if you need me, call sometime. That was a mistake. Okay, because Paul sets off on his second missionary journey. This sheet of paper I've given you, I have one here. Sure. Next, that's you. I didn't keep one of them. I didn't keep one. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, here's what I want to do. We're going to use the next time we hear of Titus is, um, is in the Corinthian story. And I've written it out this way because you can't really appreciate how serious things are in Corinth without kind of going through the... And I thought the easiest way to do that is to kind of give you a rundown piece by piece on what happens. Okay? And I've left out one piece, and the piece I've left out is Titus. And I want to show you where, how it comes together. So here we go. Paul, on his second missionary journey. Now, the, second, the first missionary journey, so you can quickly know, is this area right here. This is as far as he goes. This is Asia Minor. Okay? Second missionary journey, he gets over here. And he actually gets to Troas, right out right there. And kind of comes to a dead end, because things aren't working out very well for him. And guess who lives there, who joins him right there in Troas, that little town. You can't see it because the type is too small, but it's right that dot. Who joins him there? He, uh, and, and the problem is Paul gets sick there. So what does he need? Luke. Luke. Blue shots. No, no. Uh, he, needs a, <laughs> he needs a doctor. Luke. And Luke is the doctor that joins Paul in Troas. We know that because it goes from talking about, and then they did this, to, and then we did that. That's how you can tell, okay? And, but instead of turning around and going back, as they did the first time, what did they do at Troas? That's where Paul had that dream. you remember the dream? He dreamed about the guy who said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Where's Macedonia? It's over here. So from Troas, they get on the boat. And they head this way. And right there is Philippi. And now they are, for the first time, in Europe. They went from Asia to Europe. Okay? This is Greece. This is Macedonia. All right? And then everything starts over here. Okay? So that's the second missionary trip. Okay. So what happens is this. Uh, he founds the church in 50 in Corinth. He makes his way. Okay? Corinth is right there. Okay? Uh, you can you'll have to read the story. I'd love to be able to tell you the story. We don't have time. Okay? Uh, uh, spends a year and a half, meets Aquila and Priscilla. Okay? He's a tent maker. You know, you know that story. You've been through all of it. Um, and, and then moves on, finishes the rounds here, and then heads back to Jerusalem for the end of the trip. End of trip number two. Okay? After about a year and a half, he's ready to start on number three. He heads out. And ends up in Ephesus. He's going to, they're going to cut across the highway here. This is the Roman highway that goes right across there. And right there is Ephesus. And he stops in Ephesus where there's a lot of Christians. Okay? Great church in Ephesus already by that time. And uh, in Ephesus, word comes. You can see it we're, since we're over here. It's not far to Corinth. See there? Word comes from there. People come to Ephesus to tell Paul things are bad in Corinth not going well. People who you thought were really had changed lives back to the way they were and tried to take a lot of other people with them. Uh, if you're Paul, okay, you are unhappy. Um, let's see, I'm at number four. Uh, third missionary journey, number four says, Then, so when that word came to Paul from Ephesus he wrote what is called a, by scholars a strong letter um, we don't have the letter. How do we know that he wrote it? He mentions it. He refers to it. Uh, if you look up First Corinthians five verse nine, he refers to it. Now First Corinthians, remember. So if he mentions a letter before First Corinthians, it has to be. You follow me? Okay. It's a letter before First Corinthians. Okay. We don't have it. We don't know what it says exactly. We can infer what it says. All right? Number five, he received a a reply to to that letter, the one we don't have. Um, And the the reason we know he received a reply is because if you read 1 Corinthians 7, 1, what he says is, now, about that letter you wrote me. Meaning, of course, they wrote him a letter in reply to the letter he had written to them. You follow me? You see how you have to piece this together? Okay in which they asked him a lot of questions. Many of the criticisms of Paul, of him, were repeated. Number six, meanwhile, while he's thinking about what to do, more bad news arrives from Corinth about conditions in the church. So in 54, Paul wrote that long letter that you and I know as 1 Corinthians. Okay? Uh, Now, that's which letter? That's letter number... Two, not number one. We call it First Corinthians because it's the first one we have. Okay, his second letter, and you can tell by reading that there are some serious problems in that church. I mean, Paul is uh, there is nothing easy going about that letter. Number seven, the letter though, First Corinthians turned out to be too kind, not at all doing what Paul had hoped it would. So we know that Paul makes a rapid visit. Now, where is he? He's in Ephesus. Now, a rapid visit means he's going to take a boat ride and come out right there in Corinth. See, that's easy. It's not hard to do. You follow me? That's that far. Um, Makes a rapid visit, thinking he could perhaps straighten everything out. How do you think that went? Oh, boy. Things got nothing but worse. Nothing but worse. Um, we know about the visit because in 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen Paul talks about how, how upset we all got with each other when I visited you. Okay? That's how we know about it. Number eight, when he gets back to Ephesus, Paul then, without waiting, writes another sharp, angry letter about the visit and the seriousness of the situation the problem is Paul has worn out his welcome in Corinth how's he going to get the letter there? he he gets in touch with his old friend Titus he summons Titus to Ephesus with a... now would he summon Timothy to Ephesus to carry the letter? Oh no. Oh, we'd be eaten alive. But what does Paul know about Titus? Nobody's going to mess with Titus. Titus knows what to do. Titus is coming across, is going to come across as the most efficient problem solver in this early church. Now, I've just sketched how serious the problem is. Do you realize this? This church is on the verge of exploding. And now Paul says, here's the letter. Here's what's happened. I want you to go and fix it. Titus delivers the letter. Now, we know nothing about this from the book of Acts. Titus is the one mysterious name not in Acts. He's never mentioned in Acts. We can guess why, but we're not sure. All right? The only way we know about this is... How? through Paul's letters, Paul tells the story in his letters. Okay, so Titus carries the letter, all right, to Corinth, and Paul. Uh, uh, as far as I know, there were no smartphones, so so uh, Paul is sitting. Actually, he's going nuts. That's what he's doing, because they, they, one of his most proud churches is is collapsing right out from under. And he doesn't seem to be able to do anything about it. Um, there's a riot in Ephesus. Lots of things happen during this time. That's all in Acts, okay? Uh, so much time goes by that Paul kind of gives up and decides I'm going to Macedonia. So he goes over here to, actually, he goes to Thessalonica right there because he wants to be closer to Corinth. And there he waits, sends a message to Titus I'm here. And finally, Titus returns. And what news does he bring? Well, good news. It's fixed, Paul. I took care of things. I've got you back in good graces. Now, do you, what did, what did Titus do while he was there? How did he, did, do you see what I mean about who we're dealing with here? And, and apparently he brings with him evidence. We don't know exactly what it was. It could be letters from other people. It could be things like that. We don't know everything. We're not told everything. But immediately Paul sits down and writes Second Corinthians. And in Second Corinthians, Paul says... Um, I'm glad to hear about all the changes. I'm glad to hear that things are good. I'm glad to hear, by the way, can I come and visit you again? And we know that shortly after that, Paul makes another third trip to Corinth, to the church. And all does, in fact, appear to be well. Now, what I'm saying to you is this. Um, that, that, that these are the stories of Titus. There's one other story which I won't tell. I'll let you read it. It's the story that picks up in Second Corinthians because one of Paul's big problems was he was trying to get churches to make a big offering, like like the like we do around here, for the mission. And what was the big mission that Paul was interested in? Well, actually, for the church in Jerusalem, mother church, which was in such trouble and Paul wanted to put an offering together but he, he believed that the churches didn't trust him to do it so who did he while he had him put in charge of making the rounds and collecting the offering Titus, Titus. and Titus headed back to made the rounds of the church and headed back to Jerusalem with the offering now uh, uh, so you see the, that that's where Titus is now let me put the let's go to the end of the story okay Because what happens is this. Um, uh, Paul, after that third missionary journey, uh, ends up back in Jerusalem where he's arrested, uh, ends up being taken to Rome to stand trial. This is Acts. You you know, the stories are all in Acts. He appears before Agrippa and works his way up and is finally sent to Rome. And in Rome, he is imprisoned. Um, uh, He begins to call people to Rome when he needs them. And one of the people that he calls fairly regularly to Rome is Titus. Um, uh, uh, Titus is not a traveler. (coughs) Titus Titus, uh, likes to have jobs to do and likes to be a problem solver. But you get the distinct impression that Titus likes to do things his way in his own time and so forth. In other words, he is not an errand boy. Okay? Okay. He is not like Timothy at all, um, and so what happens is this: we get toward the end of Paul's life, uh, and the first the and second Timothy, Titus is a little earlier than those, but first and second Timothy, um, uh, they're, they're similar in some ways. They cover some some of the same things, but Paul decides that um, uh, Paul is the one who kind of is picking: you go there, you go there. You can read that in the end of second Timothy. I've sent Crescens to so-and-so, I've sent so-and-so over here, and so forth. And right at the end of 2 Timothy, you'll find the line, I have sent Titus to where? Crete. Crete. Crete, Back home. Because what Paul has realized is that of all of the places he's been, there are two or three really bad places where the church is in trouble. One of them is Crete. Now, if, if I say so and so is a Cretan, what did I just, did I compliment them? No. no. What did I just say? Will they hit me? <laughs> they might. <laughs> they, 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 they might. Why? <laughs> um, because uh, the, uh, the people on the island of Crete had a, a bad reputation. Did you see, uh, um, if you were to read Titus, I'm going to send you home to read Titus. It's very short, three chapters. Um, Paul, Paul, in writing Titus, makes this wonderful c- comment. As even one of their own prophets have said about the place, uh, the prophet's name is Epimenides, about the third century B.C., was one of the, uh, the prophets of Zeus who wrote, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes. Lazy gluttons. Now, that was Paul's understanding. It appears to be, and then Paul adds the next line, this testimony is true. (laughs) But the point is that it was throughout the ancient world. This was the reputation of Crete. Um, Ships would stop at their peril in Crete. Right? Um, And so... But the church is growing. The church has caught on in Crete. And the right person to go back, not just because he's from there, but because I'm going to pick the worst place I can find where I want the church, and Titus, we're going. And he sent Titus to Crete. Titus became the bishop of Crete, lived another 30 years The second thing is, though, that makes it more interesting is that um, Paul then gets up here to what's called Nicopolis. Now, remember, he's in in prison in Rome. Where's Rome? Over there. He's in prison in Rome. Uh, After his first imprisonment, right at the early part of Nero's reign, he's actually released. And during the time he's released, he goes traveling. And (laughs) one of the places he travels to and likes is He's planning to go to Nicopolis, into this area right through here, which is called then Dalmatia. And what happens is when, when he gets up here around Nicopolis, and it's turning winter, this area, that this big part right through there, this was is mountainous, barbaric territory. It took the Romans longer to conquer this area than anything out here. Because this was a warlike group of tribes that occupied this part. On the north part of this is is um, uh, um, I lost the name. Illyricum, yeah. and and um, what what uh, what Paul does is, and and you can find this in the end of Second Timothy, um, um, when when he or, or at second at the end of Titus where he writes to Titus after sending him to Crete and says, I'm going to send a couple people to, to take your place, Tychicus and Artemis, as I remember. And as soon as I do, I want you to come to Nicopolis because I'm putting you in charge of this area too. That really bad area. We'll talk more about it later with one of our other people. He put Titus in charge of the bad areas. The two bad areas. Crete and the- Crete and, and what he calls... Um, uh, Dalmatia is what he calls it in Timothy, which was the old name for it, okay um, and it was this whole area through here um, and to this day uh, the the Roman Catholic churches of this ter- these territories claim as their patron saint both of them do and first bishop, Titus Titus um, now, the kind of thing we're looking for let, let me put it this way the, the, the influence of Titus in Europe after Paul is what we are looking at because it was profound. Titus was largely responsible for the Christianizing of his territories and these are central to, the, to everything else that happened in Europe. Does that, does that make sense to you? Give you an idea of what kind of thing we're looking for? Yeah, I've talked too fast, and we've tried to cover too much. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to adjust that. Um, any, any comments or questions? Uh, I, I, we've gone ten minutes over time. I'll have to, I'll give them back to you next week. No, I won't. <laughs> already They're already going that. <laughs> Uh Titus is our first, and uh, I have to tell you, I am, I am a lover of Titus. I think he was one of if, if, can you imagine what do you think would have happened in the Corinthian church if Titus had not shown up and you talk about central to this whole region here, the church in Corinth all you've got to do is read 1st and 2nd Corinthians to know that okay? and it was Titus who saved the Corinthian church that Paul started okay? and there is no mistaking that when you read paul's letters now you have to read galatians you have to read second corinthians in order to find the story it's not in acts we're not sure why it's not in acts i think paul i think luke just ran out of room got tired because the story is only half told in acts the big story is in paul's letters let's pray together thank you god for time to think about these great these great people of faith. Help us to learn from Titus the the importance of knowing how to embrace problems in the church and solve them and know that you are with us and that, that the kinds of leaders we need, you provide for us. Those are important things for us to know. And end up in this great figure of Titus, so different from other characters of that era. In this great figure of Titus, we see someone who stood tall and who made a tremendous difference, not just during Paul's lifetime, but in the decades that came after that as he developed his own great, far-flung ministry. Thank you for time together to reflect on it. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you all for coming.